0: welcome to the ask philip podcast today along with cpa allison reif martin philip interviews grace for impact ceo amanda childress Here's Philip.
1: We are back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast and I also have my favorite co-host Allison Rife Martin with me. She's actually the sponsor of the episode bringing the guest uh Rife Martin CPAs, one of the best CPA firms, if not the best CPA firms in Texas. Welcome welcome to the podcast, y'all. Thanks for thanks for coming on. We'll we'll jump straight in, Amanda, with the with the first my my first question. It's basically like what does Grace for Impact do, and how did how did you get how did you go from like the consulting world making gazillions of dollars a year and say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna go into uh, into nonprofit and make no money, right? I'm kind of I don't really know how much you made. I'm just kind of joking, but. <laughs>
2: No, it's, it's an accurate assumption, Philip. <laughs> um, unfortunately, yeah. But, um, Grace for Impact is a, a nonprofit organization. We're headquartered here in Dallas, Texas, and our work is focused on, um, health, education, capacity development. Um, but the ultimate goal of all of our programs is poverty alleviation and, um, Our work spans three continents. We partner with the public, private, and government sectors, um, and everyone plays an important role in our work. Um, You know, for me, Philip, I was never motivated by making shareholders happy. I was never motivated by building someone's bottom line. Um, For me, I found myself feeling most alive and most engaged um, when I was um, serving and um, serving others. And so um, for me, I have to be true to that. And if for folks out there who are sort of intrinsically motivated in that way, um, get out there, you know, roll up your sleeves, get involved. Um, there's a, a lot of misconceptions about um, nonprofit work and you know, humanitarian type work. I spent most of my career overseas uh, working in Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia. Um, United Nations, USAID, and then a handful of nonprofits before I moved back to the States. So my last few posts, um, just for your listeners, they might find this interesting, but I actually lived in Madagascar. Um, So my family and I spent almost four years there. Uh, We also lived in Ghana, in Tanzania, in Mali. I spent time in Timbuktu a considerable mm-hmm. amount of time in Timbuktu. And yes, it's a real place. Um, and so, yeah, you may not, um, you know, become wealthy working in 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 the nonprofit sector. Uh, but I feel like, well, wealthy in the way the world um, measures wealth, let's say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you gain so much more. Um, the, these experiences are just priceless. And I look at my kids now, especially my oldest daughter, who's now in college um, and she just has such a different view of the world and her perspective and her you know this is a first world problem or you know how you find um, gratitude you know being able to be grateful even in difficult situations or circumstances and just maintaining perspective um, so for me to answer your question um, yes I've, I've always been um, sort of motivated in this way it's super rewarding and and I couldn't find myself doing anything else regardless of the pay, um, I would also encourage any of your listeners who are curious um, to just do a quick Google search about what's out there and the opportunities. You know, you don't have to join the Peace Corps um, to have that kind of experience. And you don't have to dedicate your life, you know, to like becoming Mother Teresa either. Um, You can earn um, a, a reasonable living and have the opportunity to do good and really help achieve human impact on a global scale.
1: That's, awesome. That's way
2: more than you asked for.
1: No, but that, that is awesome. I'm I'm quitting wealth management today. I'm about to go do something <laughs> meaningful. No, no, no. But I like that for real. I like it. I like it.
2: How do you get a small business to get on board with wanting to, you know, partner with a not for profit? Because obviously we're all focused on the bottom line and why is it worth it? Yeah, it's a great question, Allison. So small businesses and small business owners are some of our um our biggest um supporters. And a lot of folks think that, oh, they must be donating cash directly, you know, like um their, their donors and their um Supporters in that way. But there's a lot of ways that small businesses um, come through for nonprofits like Grace for Impact. For example, aside from cash donations, there's something called in kind contributions, and in kind contributions. Um, are huge for us. Um, Grace for Impact, for example, working in health and um, education. And we do a lot of work in eye health. So a great example is recently, we received a donation of over 400,000 <clears> eyeglass frames. And these are coming from um, National Vision, which is the parent company of America's Best. So they're a larger company. Um, That's an example of how those are, um, we would have to actually buy those frames and use them for our eye health programs here stateside and overseas. And even if we're buying them at cost, it's still taking valuable uh, resources. Um, from us cash resources. And so we're able to stretch every dollar further through these in-kind contributions. Now for a smaller business, Allison, like, um, a CPA firm, for example, um, they might donate their services to grace for impact. And so we recently had services donated to us, um, to set up our DBA, um, and make sure that our, um, that our name was accurately reflected. And these things are administrative. Um, They're not sexy. They're not what people typically think of when they're like, Oh, I want to support a nonprofit, but these are actually incredibly helpful to us. Um, And I'm not sure if I'm able to plug Allison or not, but she has actually at reef Martin done a lot of work like that for grace for impact. And we're just super grateful. Um, you know, she gives us, um, Free services and preferred rates, and um, does things at cost for us. And then she's just available and accessible to give advice and guidance. And those are things that we would have to pay for. And you know, sometimes these services are several hundred dollars an hour. So Grace for Impact um, is is super grateful for that kind of support from the business community and specifically small businesses like um, Reef Martin CPA.
1: And we talked offline about like some of the problems that y'all switched to locally during COVID. Can, can you talk more about what y'all are able to do or and I guess still are doing for locally for COVID?
2: Yeah, sure. So 2020 uh, was an interesting year for us and not at all what we had planned. Um, you know, we We typically work in health and eye health and education, um, but we realized pretty quickly that we needed to shift and pivot to meet more immediate needs here at home. And so we went from, you know, our beautifully um, laid out work plan for the year to doing things like emergency food distribution, um, to Um, inventorying our warehouses that we have in Addison and seeing what we had to provide PPE kits to healthcare workers and um, first responders here in the DFW Metroplex. And so... um, We did the PPE kits, we did emergency food distribution for over 40,000 vulnerable families here in DFW. And then we also realized that there was a need for um, emergency micro grants. And so um, there's families in the Metroplex who are on the verge of homelessness. Mm. And, um, you know, this micro grant made the difference between them being able to stay in their home or being in a shelter. And so Grace for Impact has tried to bridge that gap um, for over 25 families so far, and we're still, um, we're still taking um, applications. So we're trying to meet the needs. You know, it's it's hard. Folks get intimidated. Even organizations get intimidated of how could we possibly you know, solve this problem? And we can't help everyone. Um, um, but you can help some and you can help someone and you can make a world of difference for that one family that you were able to keep out of a shelter. And so for us, um, it was incredibly important that we were nimble, that we shifted our resources and our priorities um, to meet the needs following the, the pandemic. It makes me think, too, like. And, you know another reason why small businesses or just businesses in general would want to donate volunteer their time. It's a great way for employee retention as well because they can see their businesses committed to a cause of any type. have you Have you kind of noticed that too? So I don't know if that's just your your hunch or your position, Allison, but there is research to back that up. Um, there's There's been a, a lot of investment in this area recently um, as employers you know, look to attract the best and the brightest. And one of the things they found is that um, when given the choice between a salary increase or a raise, a monetary incentive in whatever form or the opportunity to have time for example to volunteer a day or two um, a year for whatever cause you're passionate about or if your employer does a match giving program um, employees found that also um, of interest and when they weighed it all out um, they were shocked the researchers were shocked to see that you know the common assumption of a big bonus or a salary increase would would outweigh the value of all those other things when in actuality that wasn't the case at all um and so folks motivation um are definitely i mean people are definitely motivated by those opportunities to give back and to feel like they're a part of something bigger and that they work for a company who, who really cares about the community and, and the local needs. And so, yes, absolutely. Um, our corporate sponsor, for example, access, um, they're a healthcare technology company, but they give their employees, um, several days a year to volunteer at their nonprofit of choice. And, um, and they're also involved in different food pantries, and of course, grease for impact. Um, and it's one of the things that their staff mention the most of of why they like working at Access. Um, they don't say, "Oh, the competitive pay or the great benefits." They say, "Access really cares. They care about our community. They care about our people. Um, they give us a um, an opportunity to give back and to decide." where and how we give back, you know, what they're passionate about and what their interests are, not just what the company has adopted or embraced as their causes, per se. That
1: makes a lot of sense. And I don't know if it's generational, um, but I feel like, yeah, a lot, a lot of the generation does care a lot about impact, which is which is one of my, que- so my next question, this is something I think about it. Me and my friend talk about this a lot. And I, and I think you kind of you kind of answered it in the sense where you said, hey, you can't save everybody, you can just save a few people. But specifically, like, in our country, which I love a lot, but, you know, we have this two-year problem-solving cycle, right? Where, From a political standpoint where politicians are like, all right, what can we get done in two years before we got an election to solve the problem? And I'm like, that's not going to solve—you can't solve any problem in two years because, like you mentioned, you know, the biggest problems is is health and education, right? I mean, we have a, 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 a huge population that doesn't have enough health care, and it's not getting educated and not being nourished right and 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 that's getting worse and worse, and it can't be solved in two years that's a It's a long-term type problem. so obviously you're optimistic about it or you wouldn't be spending your time doing it, but like how does this get done in this current environment and And, and am I right? Is it easier to do in other countries that don't have this two-year cycle than it is to <laughs> do it here?
2: Yikes, that's a lot in one question, but um, let me see what I can do here. Uh, you know, I, I think first and foremost, yes, in any society, in any country, there are these foundational sort of non-negotiables that, um, you know, y- you need to have in place um, in order for a society to thrive and to um, grow sustainably and grow in other ways than just economically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I think the united states we we're, we're in a in an interesting um this is an interesting time and i'm going to stay apolitical here in my response um, but there are a few things i would like to to highlight um, first and foremost you have to address the systemic issues um not only in the United States, but I think here in the DFW metroplex, um, it, it hits it hits um, it hits different when it's close to home. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't start. Given this is Black History Month, that I didn't start with systemic racism is real, and um, this is an issue that is affecting almost every aspect of life for folks in. Um, in certain zip codes of DFW. So the Greater Dallas Coalition is an organization that does a lot of work um, in in South Dallas, and they've commissioned research. And there's other research out there that says, you know, there's five or six zip codes that are considered prison um, school to prison pipeline. Mm. Um, And if you look at those zip codes, you know, it's a majority of minority population, single headed households, it's This um, demographic information that is, you know, it it looks very familiar and it's, you know, somehow consistent. And yet there's not enough resources and and time and energy and focus from our government leaders um, to really change things. And we need to start there. Um, Secondly, an education. Education is is broken, if you will, in some ways. In the United States, uh, we have such a rigid system, uh, an, a bloated system. It's extremely expensive. I don't want to go Bernie Sanders on everyone, but um, but there is a lot of room for improvement. And it's not it's it's there's something wrong when you're graduating from college, and you're. Um, you're not able to fully enjoy that because you've got six figures of debt riding on your back. And if you want to be a nonprofit leader or executive or a teacher or, um, you know, folks who are in the social service industry, if you're coming out and, and you're not making six figures and, you know, you're... Um, your benefits may not be great and your your heart is in teaching or in social services, but um, you're gonna be paying back a student loan for 30 years. It might cause you to um, You know, to change your plans or your path. And then when government sort of, um, you know, steps left and steps right, there was supposed to be a student loan forgiveness for public service workers and teachers, a lot of folks weren't able to qualify for that I think less than 1% of everyone who Mm. applied. Um, and so you've worked your 10 years in, um, public service, and then you're ready to apply for that loan forgiveness. And the fine print says, oh, you should have done this 10 years ago, or you should have shifted. It it really felt, um, yeah, it felt like the government wasn't, um, you know, fulfilling their part or that they were trying to sidestep their commitment. Um, they've since come back and given a window for people to reapply, but it's still very complicated and um, education is is far more expensive than it should be. To give you some perspective, in the Netherlands, um, I worked for a, a Dutch organization for a while and um, it costs about a thousand euros a year to go to college in the Netherlands Um, and it gives students freedom. So you start out thinking you want to be a doctor and then you realize your passion is really in law or in something else. You can switch and you can um, have that freedom to explore. We're putting a lot of pressure on our young folks to just, you know, out of high school, know what they want to do. Um, and that's really, that's really not fair. And I'm not sure we're producing, um, you know, the talent pool that um, we really could be if they had more freedom and flexibility. And I think the business world is demanding a, um, they're, they're becoming a little more specific in what they need and what they're looking for. And they're, um, you know, blaming, you um, or somehow faulting the education higher education system so education is huge Healthcare, you know you can't work if you're not healthy you can't um you can't do your job if you can't see because you can't afford cataract surgery for example that's an area that grace for impact works in so it's something that we see quite often the underinsured um, the working poor, um, undocumented folks, there's a lot of people who fall into a category where, you know, they might be 30, 40 years old um, and able to contribute to, you know, their family, their community, the economy, the GDP of the country, whatever scale you want to take it. Um, but because they're not healthy and they can't afford access to health care, they're not able to fully fulfill their um their their potential and so that's an issue and these are these are big picture i know these are huge um huge issues but they they underpin any healthy um society or country and so there needs to be a greater focus on on those things
1: yeah yeah but that's like one of one of the things i think about if i think about you know like what motivates me is a challenge you know, and, and to me, like, I'm like, that's a challenge because I don't know how you do it. Right. Because, you, you you know, you have to you you don't want to be cynical. Right. You know, there's a solution because, you know, I'm a big believer that life gets better for human beings uh, in general over time. But it feels like for the poor in America, you know, like white, black and Hispanic.
2: I was thinking it's like you got to bite off one. One piece of the elephant at a time. So it made me kind of think, what could a business owner do yeah. to help address those issues with a not-for-profit such as Grace for Impact? There's a lot of things that nonprofits do. For example, um, pro-poor initiatives. Let's let's take a uh, an example at the at the local level. So there's a there's a homeless shelter in Collin County, and Grace for Impact has been supporting. Um, some of their residents to find employment. Yeah. And we've we worked with this woman, we tidied up her resume, we made sure she looked sharp on her interview day. And lo and behold, she got the job. So we thought, wow, this is amazing. She's on her journey to um, ending her situation of homelessness and gaining independence, etc. But then came the challenge and the job was, you know, 20 bucks an hour it was a pretty, pretty good job, um, $22 an hour. And um, then she said, oh, no, how am I going to get there? And Grace for Impact, you know, we started researching and saying, okay, um, until she gets her first paycheck, we can give her an Uber gift card, we can get volunteers to organize rides, etc., And when we started tracing back how long it would take her to get from the shelter to her place of employment, it was over two hours. She had to take an Uber to the bus stop in Plano, take the bus to catch a train. And then um, when she got off the train, she would walk the, the remaining mile or so. And yeah it it was really and i personally drove her myself just to see what her journey was like um, and so that's an issue that's a challenge um she she had to do that for the first two weeks until she got her first paycheck and then she was able to eventually get a car but we have um, business leaders in the community we have um our local government officials um, all trying to work and tackle this issue now, but. You know, bringing it to their attention and making sure this is at the forefront and um, having strong business leaders who know how important it is to reintegrate these folks into society and to get them out of that system and cycle of homelessness and poverty is incredibly important. And we all play a role. So businesses, small businesses, either as an employer or as a champion for these folks or um, supporting initiatives like getting transportation um, so that they can you know how does it make sense to have a homeless shelter and not have public transportation accessible within you know a half a mile a mile mm. um, but there's not even within five miles of that shelter um, public transportation and so this is a great area Allison where um, local businesses can champion these kinds of causes you can use your time your talent. Um, your specific area of expertise, um, or you can just attend a city council meeting as a business member and a concerned citizen.
1: Got it. So what I hear is we all got to get involved. Let's, you know, we can't rely on the politicians because they're going to do what politicians do and do whatever they got to do to get elected. I know I'm hard on politicians, y'all, but I just, I don't, you know, I'm I'm equally hard on all of them. So it's not, you know.
2: But let's face it, uh, who has the resources and who's supporting campaigns and, you know, where their base is pulling from? It's usually high net worth individuals. It's not a single mom who's living in a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, who's going to step up and lobby on their behalf? Who's going to take, take on their cause? And so it's up to folks like us um, to make sure that, you know, we're keeping these issues at the forefront and not letting our elected officials, you know, get off so easy they have to serve everyone all of their constituencies not just the high worth individuals
1: right no yeah no i i, I like it i like it here's the last tough question and i, I want to hold to all afternoon this is a really tough question you ready for it? what's what's your favorite sport
2: Hey, this is not a tough question. This is very easy for me. So basketball, hands down, uh, I'm a baller day in and day out. Um, It was my life all through school. I used to play um, with the boys in my neighborhood before I was old enough to play on a team in middle school. They were mean. They were very mean. They would throw the ball in my face. They would block shots. They would tell me stop crying. If I want to act like a girl, I can go home. That kind of stuff. So in my first day, Philip, when I was actually playing against girls in sixth grade, I was like, hmm, is that all you got? Is that all you got? (laughs) I was all over it. Um, my coach loved me, and I was um, yeah. Basketball is was my life. I, I ended up coaching my daughter's team in Madagascar, and um, I was involved in Ghana as well. And now back in the states, I'm trying to push my kids, but I, I still volunteer um, coaching. But yeah, basketball. I also like Formula One. My husband and I are are big Formula One fans. Mm. Um, not just the sexy cars, but performance engineering is is really interesting to me. So if I if I wasn't uh, working in the humanitarian field, I might be a race car driver.
1: Interesting. My career. interesting. <laughs> who, so who, who's your team? Who's your basketball team then? that's That's, that's the follow up.
2: Yeah, I mean I'm in Dallas, right? So I, yeah. I I like the Mavs. I I'm hoping that uh we'll be able to make something happen here yeah. in the not too distant future.
1: I, I think yeah. they will. They got a good they have a good core as long as they can keep Luca, you know. Amen.
2: Uh, Amen. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a great guy too. He's solid.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Dirk, Dirk was the same way. I um got to interact with him a couple of times and he's like just I'm like, do you know that you're like a famous rich athlete? I don't think he understood that. He's just a super nice guy.
2: Indeed. Indeed. We could use more of that in the NBA, though. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And Mark Cuban. Shout out to Mark Cuban. He's a huge um, philanthropist and supporter of nonprofits here in the DFW Metroplex.
1: I I like Mark. I hope Mark runs for president one day. I would absolutely vote for Mark if he does.
2: Right, yes. I think he's teasing us a little bit. Some of his LinkedIn posts are like testing the water sometimes. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll 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 see if he does. i will be like, cool, I'm gonna throw a fundraiser for you. Let's do it.
2: Right, <laughs> for sure. And,
1: and, well, um, we we'll definitely appreciate you, Amanda. Thanks for sharing. If if anybody's interested in in, in helping um, you and Grace for Impact Out, um, what's the best way to reach out?
2: Yeah, sure. So you can check us out online, graceforimpact.org, or you can look us up on Instagram or Facebook. Um, you can also give us a call 214-646-8055. And thank you so much, Philip, for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to talk with you and always good to see Allison. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did this
1: one. Those of you who haven't been at my website, go to StonehillWealthManagement.com. Click on the 401k tab. We got a Stonehill 401k service that you've probably heard about. It's great for businesses that are small businesses, businesses between zero and maybe 150 employees. Uh, We provide love and service to the employees about how to plan and invest for retirement and a whole host of other uh, benefits that we give. It's all on the site. Check it out, Stonehill401k.com. We create startup plans and help with selecting the investments and educating and advising our clients on how to invest and how to best reach their retirement goals.
0: If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk.